Hey everybody, welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. So I'm sitting here drinking my intelligence coffee and I thought I would show you that. So if you're watching this on YouTube, look at the bottom of my cup. All of that brown goodness is lion's mane mushroom. And there's a lot in there, isn't there? I put a ton in this one, apparently. So lion's mane is a mushroom I've been using for years. And I've noticed tremendous upgrade to my mind and to my brain, my ability to think, recall, retain information. And uh, today's podcast is going to go deep into mushrooms. We went out and found one of the best guys in the entire world. Jeff Chilton joins me today to talk about mushrooms. Jeff is the mushroom man. He's literally studied mycology in university back in the 60s. Talks a little bit about some interesting plant experiences he had uh, with some special types of mushrooms. But we also get into medicinal mushrooms that can ultimately upgrade different aspects of our body and mechanistically how they're proven to work. So we talk about all of the basic ones that you're hearing so much about uh, and some ones that maybe you haven't and why it would be a good idea for you to get out there and try some mushrooms. One of the ones that Paul recommends on the show is their Five Defenders Blend, which I've started using every day, which is another cool thing. They actually just added it to a chocolate, which is super interesting. Um, so you can get ladies, guys, you can get Five Defender in your chocolate. So the five defenders is going to be, it's going to be reishi, it's going to be turkey tail, it's going to be cordyceps, shiitake and maitake are the other five. And uh, I use it all the time. My kids actually eat it and they consume it and they like it. And it's great now because obviously we're all looking for the immune boosting properties of whatever we can to support ourselves during Corona. Um, so ironically, and maybe not coincidentally, the sponsor of this podcast is going to be Jeff's company, Real Mushrooms. And you guys can head over to realmushrooms.com slash Ben and get 30% off once you've listened to this incredible podcast. I know you're going to absolutely love it. And if you do, don't forget to listen all the way to the end. As always, thank you guys for being here. Enjoy the show. We're here with Mushroom Man, Jeff Chilton. Uh, man, I appreciate having you back. It was an honest, honestly incredible conversation two years back at Paleo FX. And uh, you blew my mind with your wisdom when, with respect to mushrooms. And uh, you've literally committed and devoted your entire life to understanding and growing and now selling the highest quality mushrooms in the world. So I really appreciate you being here. Hey, it's my pleasure to speak with you again, Ben. It's, it's been a while. It's great to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Um, so just before we got we got rolling there, we were talking about how COVID has affected the mushroom community. And I'd love to have you just kind of walk down the path of uh, maybe why it's affecting the community. So not everyone, I would presume in my audience, knows why mushrooms can be a useful addition to their their uh, supplement regime or their diet. And uh, you know maybe starting down the path of why it's just been during this pandemic, one of the most highly sought after supplements. Well, you, you know, with uh, one of the things that people are really interested in right now is somehow enhancing their immunity. Um, and, and that's, that's a big issue. You know, it's really interesting. I was reading a, a research report recently and I was talking about, okay, how do we uh, test different products or compounds against viruses? Well, I mean, that's what we're all talking about right now is viruses, right? Well, and they said, well, it, it's not that difficult because essentially you can take a couple of groups during the cold and flu season and you have these different groups and you give them that. And what are the effects on the common cold? And I thought, yeah, there, there it is. The virus that we're all familiar with uh, that people get every year, uh, not everybody, but uh, it's out there all the time. So, so. It really is a matter of how well our immune system can cope with all of these challenges. And, and mushrooms 
have been used for thousands of years for that very exact thing. And, and that's what they're known for. They have these compounds called beta-glucans. And these beta-glucans are what activate or, or uh, what I like to say is potentiate, which means strengthen our immunity. So, so we're in an age where, where immunity and immune products have become super important for us uh, in our daily lives. Yeah. Um, one thing I've started doing, like my, my, I've become the world's biggest advocate for a couple of mushrooms. And it's because as soon as I start to feel a little run down, a little sick, I'll, I'll throw down five to 10 grams of reishi mushroom. And it's like miracle. I feel better. So like, and my kids are getting run down reishi mushroom. First thing I go to, everyone's got their like go-to. For me, it's reishi mushroom. I notice a huge bump in my immunity. I also notice a huge bump in my heart rate variability, which I love to get into. The other one I've been throwing in lately, um, you know, even for sleep is lion's mane. And you guys probably know that I talk about lion's mane more than anyone else should, but I'm really that much of a believer in it. Um, so can we start with those ones? Because uh, my audience hears us, hears me talk about them uh, literally almost every podcast because I, I speak about the, the significant difference I've noticed. And I'd love to know why. Like I know subjectively, my Myself and everyone I subjected to loves them, but I'd love to know mechanically what's happening with those. Well, you know, reishi in China is called the mushroom of immortality, and it's highly revered. and And you see it everywhere in architecture and in art. They they really totally believe in reishi mushroom, and they've been using it for thousands of years. And what's really interesting is that we measure the beta-glucan level of all of our mushroom species. So we know which ones have what level of beta-glucans. It turns out that reishi and turkey tail have the two highest levels of beta-glucans through our analysis. And, and I, I was kind of, I thought, well, that figures. But at the same time, I was kind of like shocked that here are these mushrooms that are so well-known, especially reishi, for for their immunological effects that uh, it matched right up to the beta-glucan levels in there. And what's really interesting about reishi and why it is the mushroom that I would always recommend to people, they said, well, what if there's one mushroom out there? Well, the other thing with, with reishi is it has these compounds called triterpenoids. Mm -hmm. and, and terpenes are, are compounds that it's like the sap of trees, they're, they're these aromatic volatile compounds and reishi produces a significant amount of these triterpenoids and these triterpenoids have been shown to be not just uh, anti-tumor but also very, very good for the liver. In fact, um, when I was at a conference in China back in the 90s, it was a, a reishi conference and one of the persons there was a traditional Chinese medicine physician and I was talking to him and he said reishi was his key herb for liver dysfunction and I thought well, well, why and he's he was said you know he used as much as 30 grams of dried mushroom uh as much as that which is a significant amount I mean I mean you can imagine we we have uh reishi mushroom extract and three grams of that extract would be like, wow, yeah. that, that, that's a significant amount of the, of our concentrated extract. So, so not just the, the fact that it can benefit our immune system, but also the fact that it's got these triterpenoids, which makes it 
very different from all the other mushrooms. That that's what makes reishi unique. And and those triterpenoids are what when you taste a reishi, you can taste it's a very bitter. And, and if your reishi does not taste bitter, it's probably not reishi. So it's it's just this really interesting. And having this different profile is kind of what make reishi quite different from all the other mushrooms. So that is a distinct property to only reishi is the triterpenoids. Well, uh, you know what? There are a few mushrooms, other mushrooms that have <clears throat> triterpenoids, but reishi produces a significant amount more than any other mushroom, and it produces very specific triterpenoids. And the, the thing is, is that with, with the reishi mushroom, there's a lot of research that they've done with it. I mean, the research is really interesting because I mean, there's there's as many as a hundred different triterpenoids that they have actually elucidated from reishi, and, and you know this is what science does. It's like this dissects and fractionates, and they find all these different compounds in there, thirty different or a hundred different triterpenoids in there, and, and they've actually been able to to target these or utilize these uh, and get very specific with what. A, a certain triterpenoid does. We normally have measured only what we would call the top four, uh, ganoderic acid A, B, C1, and C2. But we are right now um, in conjunction with a Japanese scientist who I just met at a medicinal mushroom conference last year. He put up a slide in his presentation where he could identify 20 of these different triterpenoids and and um, show actually the amounts of these because you know I'm always interested in like okay it's there that's great but how much is in there he put up this chart and he showed okay one percent two point three percent and I was just blown away by it and I just thought this is this is something that I've been waiting for, for for a long, long time is to where we could go even deeper with triterpenoid analysis to where we could actually see the the profile of the different triterpenoids. And and what's really interesting is that each uh, well, with, with a mushroom uh, that's grown in, let's just say a mushroom pops up in uh, Seattle, a mushroom pops up in uh, uh, Boston. So we've got a reishi mushroom that comes from a different location, but it's still the reishi mushroom species, which is uh, Ganoderma lucidum or Ganoderma lingchi. Each one of those particular reishi mushrooms will have a different uh, DNA coding in terms of the ability to actually produce these triterpenoids. So as, as cultivators, what we want to do is we want to definitely grow a reishi mushroom that has a high level. We're not, we're not trying to build that up through extraction or anything like that. No, we, we want to have that in the actual herb itself. So we're growing, let's just call it a, a high powered reishi. And, and that's what um, this kind of analysis allows us to do. First of all, um, I mean, I remember seeing, um, I was at another conference in the 90s and a Taiwanese scientist uh, had a report where he had tested 12 different, what we would call strains or cultivate cult cultivars. 
And he showed from, from 1% to as much as 12% triterpenoids in these different reishi mushrooms. And think about this for, for a second, too. If you're a researcher and you're researching reishi mushroom, well, why does it have different effects for different people and so on? Well, it depends on the, the initial raw material that you have to, that you're using, the, the herbs. So it can vary. We like to, to basically be, be offering something that is reasonably standardized in, in that sense, not something where it's going to be different uh, a year from now what we happen to be selling to people. No, we want something that's standardized and also something that is high in the medicinal compounds. So, so when we have an, an analysis like this and we've got this project just starting right now, he's got the samples and he's putting it into his uh, LC. MSMS, which is a, a fairly sophisticated analytical instrument, we're now going to be able to uh, review different cultivars, different raw materials to actually see and make sure that what we're growing is uh, a high quality cultivar that will give us a high quality extract. So for us, that's really, really exciting. And again, the triterpenoids are are something that, I mean, can you imagine something that is is helping your liver with all it has to cope with? Yeah. And now triterpenes is something that's strongly manipulated in the cannabis world as well, right? They have people manipulating the levels of terpenes, uh, pulling them from certain places and crossbreeding. And is that something you see in the future? Well, you know what? That's interesting because we're actually uh, working with a company that is deeply involved in that, a cannabis company. Uh, I mean, Ben, we have so many different companies either in the cannabis or, or that are doing either actual sort of cannabis products or CBD. We've had so many companies come to us and want to incorporate our products with theirs, create something. This particular company uh, has a researchers that are working with them on the triterpenoids in cannabis. So, so, there's really no limit to where we could possibly go in terms of matching up our product with their product and creating something really interesting. And that that's that's kind of also something that's that's so exciting right now about what's going on. I mean, you know, and and it's and it's funny because, you know, look, I I'm a child of the '60s. I was smoking pot back before you were born. And uh, not only that, when I was smoking it, it was illegal. People went to jail. I have friends that have been in jail over it. And, you know, I feel very lucky uh, that I raised my family in Canada because very few people go to jail for smoking pot in Canada. Aren't we lucky, huh, Ben? I mean, it's like, my goodness, you look across the border and all the people that are still in jail for it, that they haven't let out. It's like, come on. So, so now here we are at a time and I, I, you know, I haven't smoked it for a while. I smoke it occasionally, but, but it's like, you know, it's like now that it's legal, it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but, but, it's just the times I never thought it was going to happen because the U S is such a conservative country. 
Uh, you know, in Canada, it's just kind of the opposite. Very tolerant. Um, you know, not a big deal. I had friends in the in the seventies and eighties in in Canada that uh, had their little small halide light operations busted, and they ended up with a fine, and they gave them their equipment back. <laughs> it's like you know, <laughs> so it's like don't do just, this ever again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and all of those people that used to be growing it, my friends who were growing it back in the seventies and eighties. None of them grow it anymore. <laughs> now right. that it's legal, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, been there, done that. Don't you know? Not really bothering with that anymore. It's so funny. What do you see in the future as far as synergy between mushrooms and cannabis? Well, you know what? I'm not quite sure because I, I have to be honest with you. I haven't I haven't paid a lot of attention to the the cannabis industry and what's going on. And that's where that's where working with this company is going to to uh, sort of bring a lot more of that kind of information to me and and as we work together with them and develop different things and as i learn more about it then then i i could be able to answer that a little better but right now i'm just i'm just not that familiar i mean you know cannabis is is kind of like the reishi mushroom in the sense that uh, i mean the number of compounds in there that they're finding is just staggering and and it's interesting too the way they've been able to to actually isolate out and and develop strains that are just reading about that a strain that's either high in CBD or high in cannabinoids and and what is it that you want and and we're really getting to the point where where it's kind of designer herbs aren't we where you can design these products to be specific to certain things it's, for example reishi triterpenoids one of the other effects of them has to do with with the uh, allergies and and they've utilized reishi mushroom for allergies uh in in asia um so let, let's just say we find a strain that has that particular ganoderic acid that's that's uh good for uh allergies well okay maybe we would grow that uh and have that into a specific area for that particular malady so that, in a sense, I guess, is where we're going. And you know how all of this is dependent upon analysis. And, and, and man, Ben, I, I love analysis. I mean, that's something that we do a lot of. And, I mean, we analyze every single lot we produce for beta-glucans, um, ergosterol, ergothionine, which is also something that's a, a compound in mushrooms that's really interesting. You're going to be hearing a lot more about ergothionine. It's a very powerful antioxidant. It's very similar to glutathione. And, and this is something that, that I think, you know, what, what they've shown in, in a lot of the, um, the, some of the testing that they've done with ergothionine is that, um, populations that uh, um, either eat a lot of mushrooms and, and test higher for ergothionine. These are populations that live longer. And, 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 you know, that's something for me that I find really interesting because there's a number of different, very large studies that have shown uh, that people, populations eating mushrooms have a, a longer life healthier life and uh, that's why I advocate for people to to even if they're not really interested in supplementing to eat mushrooms 
I just think putting mushrooms into your diet. In fact, that's what I say. That's the first thing people should do is put mushrooms into the diet because it's, it's a fantastic food. I, I consider it sort of a forgotten food and I call it the missing link. And, um, we just, you know, in Asia, they're eating, eating 12 different species of mushrooms just commonly. We're, we're just now getting to where we've got more than one species that we can be putting into our diet. So I'm always saying, buy mushrooms, put them into your diet, start there. If you want more, look at mushrooms for supplementation purposes. So you've mentioned um, beta-glucans. Is that something like the triterpenes where there's different types of beta-glucans? Or is that just the, it's like, is it, if it's one beta-glucan, it's the same in all of them? Well, it's it's interesting because beta glucans you can say oh yeah well beta glucans they, they're in oats well beta glucans um, the key to a beta glucan is the branching so for example in oats you have a beta one three one four and and the the second uh, one four is the branch off this this one three linear chain of, uh, of, uh, these different saccharides. So, so, but oats, oats does not have the immunological activity. When we think of, of, uh, oats and being good for us, we think, okay, it's the fiber content, but mushrooms have a beta one, three, one, six architecture. And that's highly immunologically active. But what's interesting is that even though all mushrooms have these beta-1316 glucans, which is part of the mushroom cell wall, even within all the different species, the, the actual makeup and the actual overall architecture of that 1316 beta-glucan will vary. And that's why some mushrooms are highly medicinal and some mushrooms are not, even though they all share these beta-glucans in common. So it's really the structure of the beta-glucan that makes the difference between, let's say, uh, a reishi mushroom and then just a, a some other common mushroom that, that maybe is a choice edible, like a, a chanterelle or a pine mushroom or something like that versus a shiitake or a maitake or one of those. I mean, I mean, we might find out that more mushrooms are, are highly medicinal. I have a book that says there's 270 different species that are medicinal. This is a book from China and, and all, all it was really telling me is that, okay, there have been some studies that show activity from these mushrooms. But out of all those 270 species, I mean, I can't have 270 different species that I'm selling just because they have one test. No, I look at, I look at all the, the um, uh, scientific research as well as the research uh, uh, in traditional Chinese medicine. Have they used this traditionally to where, to where I can say, okay, these are the top 10 there. They are, um, a lot of scientific research behind them, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact of their immunological activity. You know how they 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 um, gauge a lot of that is they do a lot of anti tumor studies, uh, and they do they do do that in vitro. They do it in vivo, where they do a lot of uh, rat studies, uh, feeding studies, things like this, to be able to demonstrate that there is this activity 
there. Um, so, so that's how we know, and and ultimately that's how we find out that certain mushrooms are more powerful than others when it comes to those beta glucans. And, and and here's what's interesting about the beta glucan that that everybody needs to know: we actually have receptor sites for beta glucans, and, and it, it's this receptor site is there, and and it it's kind of like looking for this non-self. Um, uh, compound that is entering the body and it's going oh my goodness look at this we've got this this um beta glucan that they've just eaten or the or it's a fungus that's invading it hits this receptor site and the receptor site goes okay macrophages t cells um time to start to activate because we've got uh, an invader so to speak and so that that's what's happening is is that uh, uh, and it's just kind of you know the fact that we actually have that specific beta glucan receptor site just demonstrates that over a period of time we have developed this uh, uh immuno immunological um way to notice whether are there are these pathogens that have entered our body that's why mushrooms are are antifungal um, they're also antibacterial antiviral and, and so, so when it comes to immunological activity, that's why people are going, okay, mushrooms. And that's why right now our business has gone crazy because everybody's looking for something that can help in terms of the virus out there right now. And there's good science around mushrooms being antiviral. This is important information because I think when people put beta-glucans on their label, people will assume, oh, they're kind of all the same. This has a higher amount of beta-glucans. Do you guys differentiate that on your labels? Well, with every um, every particular species we sell, uh, we will guarantee a certain level of beta-glucans. And we encourage that uh, to our customers too. And we say, look, uh, Put that on your label too, because this is very important. Um, so, so yes, we we uh, we do um, give that information out, and and we we consider it to be very very important, and and that's why for us analysis is so important. We we just think the more of that kind of information that you know about the particular product, the more that you can be confident that what you've got is just not uh, a placebo. Right, but so that you're just putting the total amount of beta glucans. You're not differentiating from the one three versus the one six. So right, so I could well, extract from oatmeal and put it on the label. You could, you could indeed, yes. And 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 actually, what we have done just recently, because those kind of things start to to come up, is that now on our labels and, and even on our uh, certificates of analysis, we will put beta one three one six glucan on there. So that people know that, and and I encourage that with people that are putting out the uh, retail product as well. Differentiate, put that out there because uh, some people say, "Oh yeah, my my uh, oats that I'm selling you have got beta glucans too, and they're just as good." No, they're not. So yeah, that is important. Okay, so talk about turkey tail. You said that's one of the ones that's hardest to keep in stock right now. There's a huge boost. Is it just the the high level of beta glucans, or is there other active ingredients in there as well? Well, that's primarily what it is. But you know what's interesting about turkey tail? It's one of the the mushrooms where they've actually developed drug type products from it. 
So turkey tail, uh, they've been able to grow turkey tail and refine that into what's called a protein-bound polysaccharide. So this is a protein-bound beta-glucan where it's kind of wetted together. And that has shown even that has shown really increased activity uh, when it's when it's protein bound like that. All all the mushroom products, all the XX will have some of that in there. But they with these two particular products, they have put them together, refined them, and and created uh, something almost like you would create a drug. How you're trying to get rid of a lot of things to get a more pure product. So so Turkey Tail has actually had these two particular drugs. One in in China is called uh, PSP and in uh, Japan is called PSK. A lot of research done on that, which is really great for turkey tail. We don't sell those two products because that's not our market. We're we're more of a, we just want the mushroom itself. We just want to extract the mushroom, the actual sort of herbal product, not create something that's too drug-like. Maybe that'll come down the line like we were talking about with the, with the um, triterpenoids. But turkey tail um, has been utilized in that way. And again, once we did our beta-glucan analyses, what we found was that turkey tail had, I mean, actually, it, it even comes in higher than reishi in terms of beta-glucans. And so for me, that's, that's just like, wow, that, that is so interesting that this particular mushroom is super high in beta-glucans and has this history of use in traditional Chinese medicine, as well as turning it into these particular drug products in Japan and China. Um, it, it's got some triterpenoids, but but that hasn't really been where research has has focused. And, and so that's not, not anything that we have really looked into in in a, a major way to where we would try and analyze that for triterpenes. The, the other mushrooms that actually have triterpenes that that are very interesting is chaga. Chaga's got triterpenes, and y- you know, chaga is one of those. Um, we call it a mushroom. It's not really a mushroom at all. It's um, a manifestation of a disease <laughs> because the fungus. You know, fungi out there are can can be pathogenic. And they can, uh, like, you know, like where I live in the forest, we have trees. I mean, literally trees that will, that have been attacked early. They continue growing. They get up to be a, a certain height, like maybe even 75, 100 feet tall. Uh, but at that point, they die because they have been attacked. And, and there is this fungal mycelium inside the tree that is just consuming it. And one day you can be standing there and the tree can just break right off at halfway up, could just break off and fall. And then you look and you start to see that, yes, there are these, these uh, sort of mushrooms that are growing off of it, kind of like a reishi type mushroom, a bracket fungus. So, so these, uh, these fungi out there, there are multiple other fungi that have these triterpenoids. Chaga actually is will attack these trees. The trees will live for still about 100 years or so, but they are like the, the walking dead, so to speak. They're a living dead tree. The chaga grows off of it. It's actually a manifestation. It's not actually like these other uh, 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 brackets that come off and are an actual fungal body. It's, it's a manifestation of this disease called a canker. And, you know, have you ever seen a chaga, Ben? Yes. 
big black flag. Of <laughs> it, it is really a weird looking thing, right? It's yeah. irregular. It's yep. black. It's just funky looking. And yet it's been used as a tea for hundreds and hundreds of years, primarily for, for stomach ailments. But it has triterpenoids and we're actively working on being able to analyze for the triterpenoids in chaga. So it has you know, unique benefits, I think, right? Or at least some claims around unique benefits for chaga relative to some of the other mushrooms. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, uh, chaga has been overhyped. You know, have you ever looked on the internet and it's like chaga, the king of mushrooms? Yep. And it's like there's nothing that a chaga won't do. And for me, I'm... I'm unhappy when I see that because I'm like, you know what? There's some certain benefits from chaga. Primarily, you use it for for people with uh, stomach issues. Um, not and and actually, it's it's been considered a folk remedy for for cancer. But I, I always tell people, you know, if you have uh, irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease or something like that, try chaga. Just see whether chaga might might help you. But um, don't don't pay attention to all of these amazing claims about this being a panacea you, you know you know when when somebody tells you oh this this thing will do everything this, this will cure whatever it is and it's like look with all due respect to snake oil which probably is really good but but the fact that you know it ultimately became yeah snake oil is something that people are selling for and just trying to make money on and and that's kind of what's happened with chaga unfortunately very cool. Good to know because there's definitely some people out there, you know, perpetuating uh, excessive use of chaga. And I didn't, I've never tried it, to be honest. I mean, I think I've tried it once. It's super bitter. So I stopped using it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I, I would just, again, you know, be careful with the hype. I mean, the internet's uh, pretty full of it. And there's, there's lots of people, you know, everybody's trying to sell something, aren't they? Well, I think that's why people uh, were hesitant to use mushrooms for a long time because everyone's like, because that's those people are like, hey, mushrooms cure everything. And you're like, eh. <laughs> you know, my BS radar goes off. That's yeah. Yeah. You're like, I don't believe you. I know. I know. And, you know, like I, I'm not here to sell anybody a product. I'm just trying to educate. And that's what what I do. And, and you know, look. I started growing mushrooms commercially on a large scale on a very big farm in 1973. Yeah. You know, I was studying mushrooms and not just the edible kind in university. <laughs> I was studying other kinds of mushrooms, the shamanic kind. Yeah. And, and, you know, because my, my field of study was anthropology. And, and so I was really interested in the use of mushrooms in shamanic ways, in healing and it was really fascinating, you know, because in the 1950s, uh, a, a New York banker learned about who was who was looking at mushrooms worldwide. He and his Russian wife learned about these mushrooms, uh, psilocybe mushrooms, still being used in Mexico back in the mountains. And he went down there and traveled down there. And sure enough, they still were. And you think, wow, the 1950s, nobody had a clue that this was still going on. He went down there and he actually had um, some, he, he interviewed and, and made uh, uh, associations with some of the shamans down there, learned more about it, uh, ended up the information 
uh, came out later, and that kind of was a big stimulus for the use of mushrooms in the in the 60s. The fact that they had been discovered, and at that point in time, it was like there was a a, a large number of people that headed to Mexico to back into the mountains, including myself, because I'm like, hey, yes, uh, and. And uh, um, at one point in this one area where he was, the Mexican government literally had to seal this area out. It was a big area, but the only way you could get back in there were a couple of roads. They sealed it off, and they went in there, and they, they collected every Westerner in there and deported them. And then for the next 10 years, they would not allow anybody in that didn't live there or was doing business there or whatever. It was it was fascinating that that happened. I was fortunate that I, I was able to go in there. I went back in there in, in 2002, and and at that point in time, it's all open. Nothing's going on. They're actually having a festival in 2002 in this community where it all sort of took place. That's a mushroom festival. <laughs> Ironic. So, Jeff, I didn't think we were going down this path at all today, man. But you opened up the door, so I'm gonna I'm gonna walk right in. Uh, so, tell me the name of that mushroom again that you you were using. Now that I'd never heard of that one before. Well, well, the 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 genus uh, is psilocybe, and, and and think about okay, psilocybe. What we know is we call it psilocybin, oh, psilocybin mushroom, yeah. Yeah. right? So, psilocybe, psilocybin uh, is the compound, the active compound that is in a psilocybe mushroom. And, and you know what was so interesting about it, Ben, was that myself and many others went off to Mexico looking for these mushrooms. And then we found out later that these, this same genus, a number of species of this same genus were actually growing in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. <laughs> and not only that, they were growing along the Gulf Coast of the United States because a lot of these mushrooms grow out of uh, cow patties, but not not your just normal Holsteins or those kind of cattle. No, it was primarily Brahmin cattle. Uh, this is a warm temperature mushroom, so the temperature has to be right, like the Gulf Coast or even the Gulf Coast of Mexico. So, so there it is. I mean, I mean you could easily, especially down in, in Texas, Louisiana, that Florida, all those areas. Yeah, you could just go out in the cow pastures and in season when it's the rainy season, and there they are. They're yeah. growing there. And that particular mushroom, which is called Psilocybe cubensis, that mushroom is now one of the most highly cultivated mushrooms in the world. I mean, I can't even imagine how many hundreds, thousands of tons of that mushroom are being cultivated right now today and that's also of great interest to me and you can't imagine how many companies are knocking on my door going we're want to get into this market and could you be a science advisor could you help us well, you know and i'm like mm. <laughs> no. so as far as your your dive into that i didn't realize it started with psychedelics so had there been uh you know did you did you did you explore that at length or was it just like hey i had a few great journeys and then um, kind of backed off a little bit. We won't have to go on the show too much, but you opened it, so I got to open it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I explored it at length for sure. And, and uh, you know, that was, again, part of my study in university was was that uh, mushroom and, and it's – right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was actually at the University of Washington in, oh, in Seattle. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, raised in Seattle then. I, I, 
I was born just across the border, Canadian border in Bellingham, Washington, but I was raised in Seattle. That's where I went to university. And, uh, you know, Washington State was kind of a hotbed of all this activity, even in the 70s, in terms of, of these types of uh, mushrooms. Uh, and, and, you know, I studied the history of it. Uh, I, I was reading everything I could get my hands on. I mean, you know, I, I uh, co-authored a book in 1983 called The Mushroom Cultivator, a practical guide to growing mushrooms at home, 400-page book, complete with uh, with uh, photos and diagrams and everything like that. It, it actually, you can use that to grow these <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> that book still sells today, by the way. Yeah, so we yeah. still sell 5,000 copies a day, uh, a year of that book today. But, wow. but people can use that book to grow either psilocybe mushrooms or they can use it to grow regular mushrooms, uh, edible mushrooms. It's all there. Very interesting. So as far as your experience when you went into this culture in Mexico, I'm guessing you went through some typical shamanic practice. Um, what was your experience there as compared to when you would, would have done it in the U.S. or outside the culture? Well, well, remember that, that when we were experimenting with this in the 60s, there's a couple things going on. One, it's all illegal. Uh, two, we have no guides. We're really... You know, it's just wide open. Yeah. And so, so people are using it in any, a number of ways, but normally, normally what we would do is, is, uh, um, it would be later on in the evening, you'd, you'd eat these things, uh, at eight, nine o'clock, the, everything would start around 10 and then it just go through the night. And, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we'd just be chilling, kicking back in a, in a, uh, um, you know, dimly lit room, listening to music a lot of times, but just kind of uh, experiencing it all. Uh, and, and you know, where you'd get into trouble is, is if you were like the people that would do that. And then oh, I'm going to go down to the local tavern and start doing this or that or go take a walk or all that. And then it's like, don't do that because you never know what's going to happen out there and, and sort of spoil it. No, you want to be in a, and this gets back to the whole idea of set and setting your, your frame of mind and the, the, where you are doing it. Is it a, a safe environment? I mean, you don't want to be there and somebody knocks on the door. You know, it's like all of a sudden, you know, it's like, it's like you smoke pot and you're like, oh, this is great. And, and it's still illegal. And the, there's somebody knocks on the door and you're like, oh my God, it's got to be the cops. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, fortunately, people don't have to go through that today. Right. <laughs> Certainly not in Canada. So how much does the growing uh, environment affect the quality of psilocybin? So I'm guessing like something grown on the side of the highway versus something grown uh, industrially has to be very different, just like all the other mushrooms. Well, well, yeah, it, it's true to a certain extent. I, I mean, it's like the, the uh, um, media it's growing in, the food that it's got, if it's a highly nutritious growth media, you will get the absolute most of what that can produce for you. And in terms of, of adding certain things to that to stimulate certain compound production, that, that can be done. There, there are methods of doing that and certain things that you can add to the growing medium that would produce more. But, but really, it gets back to what I was talking about with reishi mushroom, which is the key is the cultivar itself. So just like, for example, with this psilocybe cubensis, uh, if you went out and looked at the marketplace right now, you could buy spores of this particular mushroom that is from 
Thailand, that is from the Gulf Coast, that is from Mexico, that is from South America. So you've got all of these different cultivars, and this would be the same thing. There would be different levels of these compounds that are being produced because of the genetics of that particular, what we would call a strain. So, so you have the genus Psilocybe, you have the species, which would be Cubensis, and then you would have the strain, which I would call the cultivar. And, and that just refers to where did this come from? What was it growing in? What was the environment like? Because all of those things are going to be important. Just like any plant you might grow, you know, what are the environmental conditions that that plant has developed over the course of, of its thousand or however many years uh, of history right. um, that are built into the genetics there? So that's what you kind of look at. And, that, and that's where we're getting back to analysis again. You know, so and, no and subjectively to look at it and go, well, that one looks good and that one looks bad. Like this one's got a bigger head, this one's got a bigger stem. No, no, absolutely meaningless in terms of what's actually within that particular mushroom. That that just can't tell you anything. It really is the analytical work that has to be done. And and it's it's interesting, Ben, because I've just talked to people very recently who have a laboratory and are, are scaling up and are going to have the licenses to be able to do these kind of analyses. And I just think, wow, that that's really fun and interesting. And that's the kind of thing that gets me excited when people come to me and they say, and you know, they're like financial types and you know, all they're interested in is jumping on this bandwagon so that they can make all sorts of money. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not interested, <laughs> but somebody who's, who's, thinking about it in a different way, then I'm like, you know what, there, there could be some benefits here. And, and I, I really think that these mushrooms, just like medicinal mushrooms, these, these mushrooms are as well are very medicinal. And now we've got research saying that not only is it helping people for end of life issues, it's helping uh, people for different types of mental illness. They've done great work with psilocybe mushrooms when it comes to addiction great work with with addiction i mean you know how when people are addicted to something whether it is tobacco or or some sort of hard drug like heroin or something well that's really tough for them to get off this helps people get off and and a lot of people do and they stay off it's just amazing so so the possibilities there are are really phenomenal and i i'm hopeful that that will continue and not get shut down at some point because you know the gov is is the whims of the gov the winds of you know change yeah. depending yeah you never so, know so let's pull this back into this realm for a minute so you, you talk about your five defenders and you spoke of um the other ones that are in there so you spoke of the reishi and the, and the turkey tail and the chaga there's two more in there that are um, more accessible to the typical consumer that they could just get at the grocery store, which is shiitake and, and maitake mushrooms. Um, one thing I'm very curious about, just that we spoke about, how, do, how does somebody know? Like, if just to go and consume them, are they going to get some, they're obviously going to get some benefit, right? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm at the grocery store. I'm like, how long has this been sitting here? Does it matter? Does it matter if these are, are you know, used, they're, they're like sprayed in preservatives or, or whatever is going to keep them fresh in the grocery store for longer? I'm very curious how all those things are implicated in just like average mushroom consumption. Well, well, you know what? First of all, 
a lot of produce managers don't have a clue about dealing with fresh mushrooms on the shelf. I've walked into stores at times and I've looked what they're selling and I say, you know, it's just like, this is just junk. Put it in the dumpster. It's, it's over the hill. It's no good. Yeah. You should look at mushrooms, uh, uh, fresh mushrooms. First of all, if it's uh, an agaricus mushroom, it should be uh, heavy. Uh, it shouldn't, necessarily just your standard one shouldn't be really open or if it has any brown spots on it the brown spots are bacteria um and and they can be a little bit slimy if you feel them it shouldn't be slimy at all um so normally with the agaricus which is the button mushroom you should be able to tell fairly readily uh, if it starts to feel lightweight uh that means it's been there a while it's starting to dry out um, and that may not be really what you're looking for when it comes to shiitake, um, kind of same thing. The shiitake should, I mean, it should look good. It shouldn't look like people have been pawing over this thing and it's rough and ragged. And you turn over the shiitake and you look at the gills because the button mushroom is harvested immature. That's why it's called a button mushroom, which means that the gills have not been allowed to mature. They have what's called a portobello, which is this big uh, mushroom where they allow it to mature. That portobello is just the, the button mushroom that has been allowed to mature. And it's really big and meaty. Um, but with the shiitake mushroom, if you turn it over and you look at the gills, which are white, if they are have brown spots on those gills, that is bacteria. Uh, you don't want to touch those either. And, and so a lot of times it's just visually you can look at them and say, you know, does this look really beautiful? Does it look like it's just been harvested or does it look like, like it's been sitting there and it's ragged and it's got brown spots on the gills? And, and uh, those are things that you have to look for uh, when you're getting a fresh mushroom. And the, the other thing too is, is that when you cook a mushroom, um, slice it maybe a quarter of an inch thick, not too thin, uh, put it in whatever oil that you want to cook it in, cook it in a hot pan. Do not cook it in a, in a pan that's cool or not hot enough because all the water will come right out of it. And now you've got a soggy mess in there and your children will say, ah, these mushrooms are slimy. <laughs> and they're right. <laughs> they will be. So hot pan. I like to, I like to, Sort of caramelize them and brown them off on each side. So I've got a hot pan and and mushrooms normally are going to shrink. You, you throw in a mess and you think, oh man, that might be too much. And then by the time you're finished cooking, you're like, where'd they go? They're going to shrink, but you want to maintain the moisture inside. You don't want the water to come out. So, and, and I usually cook them at least 10 minutes in terms of frying them. But I mean, you, so th that's the way I like to cook them. And, and, and look, you'll still have all of the nutrients in there, you know, like any other uh, vegetable or anything that you fry. You're going to lose certain vitamins that are on the outside of it or something. But otherwise, all the nutrients will be there. The beta-glucans will be there. Um, man, I, I can sit down and I can eat, I can eat 150, 200 fresh grams of mushrooms, no problem. And when it comes to like eating a steak or any kind of meat, Man, I love to have my mushrooms right there with it, and and I'm just every bite I've got mushrooms and and steak going down. So so I know, uh, grow, I know you grow commercially, but do you still grow your own personal mushrooms at home? Do you ever like? I was thinking about that because like I don't think I get good quality mushrooms from the grocery. So would growing at home 
be something that's kind of reasonable? Do you need a huge amount of space? Well, you know what? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a bit involved. And, and, and if you were to do it by buying a kit or something, it's, that's, it would be very expensive. So, so I would say, yeah, growing it at home is, is not really a very good option. Um, the key, the key with growing mushrooms is, is maintaining a high humidity. So you have to have some kind of a, a humidity chamber where you can control the temperature and the humidity to keep them growing. And so, you know, it's like, it's like bringing home this nice little grow bag. Uh, you're going to grow your own mushrooms and you stick it on the table and they say, okay, be sure there's, there's plenty of ambient light. And, oh, okay, great. I'll make sure it's in the sunlight. And it turns out, no, no, you don't want direct sunlight because that's going to dry it out. <laughs> so it does need light, but not direct hot sun on it because it'll just dry the whole thing out so so really you'd be better off either you know like knowing when they're going to put the next batch out on the shelf or um you know finding another place because there are some places that i've seen where they do a fairly good job but a lot of times i'll walk into uh you know sometimes my local supermarket or 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 you know we have a small natural food store uh, they, they don't really know how to handle these things very well. So sometimes they're rough and, and then I kind of avoid them. And other times they're like, wow, okay, these look great. I'm going to get a lot of them. And, and uh, especially with shiitake or, or some of these mushrooms that they really don't know anything about and <clears throat> that are kind of, you know, the shiitake, it's already open, so it can dry out quite quickly. And, and you know, okay, nothing wrong with a dried shiitake, but you don't want it to sit there and dry out on the shelf and all these other things, uh, bacteria and so on, start to form. Uh, no, if you want dried shiitake, you buy dried shiitake. So there's two more mushrooms that I want to touch on before I let you go. Is uh, cordyceps being one? Uh, we didn't talk too much about that. What are your thoughts on the benefits of cordyceps? Oh, you know what? I I think cordyceps is just so cool and the benefits are, are really great. And, you know, the, the thing with cordyceps is they use it for people that had neurasthenia, which is they're, they're coming out of a, an illness and <clears throat> they're weak. They're fatigued. They can't climb out of this. That's where cordyceps comes in. That's where they would give cordyceps. And, <clears throat> you know, the, the thing with cordyceps too is right now, it, it used to be, that you'd get your cordyceps, the wildcrafted cordyceps, which would come on a caterpillar. It's called caterpillar fungus. <laughs> it actually grew on a caterpillar. You can't imagine what it was like for me to try and sell that back in the early 90s. <laughs> Companies would look at me like, uh, is that a caterpillar? <laughs> my, my customers don't want to eat caterpillars. Besides, you know, Ben, uh, you'd be eating meat, and for vegetarians, it wouldn't work. <laughs> I'd be in for the caterpillar check. You'd get them out of my way. <laughs> so, so, and not only that, right now, the, the actual wildcrafted cordyceps is like as, much, as high as $2,000 a dried kilogram. Well, that does not work, period. So, we've been able to cultivate cordyceps. It's a different species, but it's been used interchangeably with, with Cordyceps sinensis, which is the wildcrafted one. It's called Cordyceps militaris. It's bright orange. It's beautiful. And, and so we're essentially selling nothing but pure 100% mushroom. No insects were killed in manufacturing this mushroom. It's a beautiful mushroom. It even is eaten as food. In China, you can buy it in the marketplace, take it home, cook it up. Delicious. 
wonderful mushroom. So that's what we do. And and so what I would say is is that uh, you know trying it out for fatigue, I think, would be really really interesting. And and there have been some studies with it where they utilized cordyceps just just to see whether it would enhance the athletic abilities of of uh, high intensity or uh, athletes and and what they found was that if you're if you're up there <clears throat> at a certain level in athletics it's not going to enhance your performance at all you're already there but but uh, if not if you if you're down a different level um, it it could uh, but I would look at it more as something that that yeah just just I guess makes you not quite so tired if you're just feeling energy let's give give cordyceps a try see if it if it uh, can can help you out there um the other thing where they've used cordyceps has been in uh with uh, um, high altitude uh, sickness and and yeah. that comes back to maybe the same thing with the fatigue just the way that we can utilize oxygen and it helps with with the ability to utilize oxygen so so that's the other thing about cordyceps that that yeah, we so could keep in mind. There's, there's actually a supplement that exists right now called Pico2, and I don't remember exactly what mushrooms in it. I know Cordyceps is one of them. I think it's Reishi and one other one, there, and they're trying to sell it as a uh, improving oxygen uptake, improving energy production. Any thought or familiarity with that product? I am, and unfortunately, that product is one of those products that is is not actually mushroom. It's actually oh. uh, this... Uh, there's a lot of products out there uh, that are the mycelium which is like the root structure of the mushroom that is grown on grain and, and then at the end of the process they they dry it and grind it up grain and all and it turns out that those products are mostly starch and, and mushrooms do not have starch very little fungal matter in it so so no i i don't recommend those kind of products and, so I'm, and I'm reading uh, the ingredients now it says cordyceps multaris reishi which is ganoderm or lucidum uh king trumpet Yep. lion's mane and turkey tail is what they they prefer. yep do they do they say anything about the uh oats that are there like in the other ingredients mm, nope cellulose yeah. magnesium stearate no oats. yeah that, that, you know that's the issue is that a lot of these companies do not tell you that the grain is in there and the only way you really know is if you actually analyze it and then you can see immediately that okay this is mostly starch from the grains that are in there and you know it, it's sometimes it's not the company's fault because the the uh, people that are manufacturing these these myceliated grain products they they sell them as mushroom the company itself that manufacture it their line of these so-called mushroom products they will actually tell you in the other ingredients that it is oats in there and they the the ones that are more honest will actually tell you that it's mycelium so you have to be very aware of that when you go into the marketplace. It's just a minefield. 50% of the products out there are these myceliated grain products. And for people that are uncertain about what this is kind of like, if you know what tempeh is, do you know what tempeh is, Ben? Not honestly, not accurately. Yeah, tempeh is, is eaten a lot out in Indonesia, and it is cooked soybeans oh, yeah. with a fungus grown on it. So when you grow, when you buy tempeh, it comes in a block. It's in the refrigerated section. You, you get it out. You look at it. It's this block of soybeans that is white. That white is the mushroom mycelium. It's the mycelium that they've grown out on this. But once you slice it up, you see it's mostly still the soybean. 
that's what these products are. No mushrooms involved. <laughs> they're, they're just tempeh that has been ground up to a powder and they're selling it as a mushroom supplement. It's not, and it's really, in my opinion, unethical. So what would be the, the, the claim based around something to do with improving oxygen uptake? Let me see what, they, what it reads. Um, increases time to exhaustion, improves oxygen uptake and VO2 max, increases peak, peak power. Yeah, you know what? I've seen, I've seen the study. Uh, uh, they've got one a couple study. studies. Yeah, one or two studies. And you know what? I have to tell you that there are some universities out there that are that have departments that will do this kind of research for you. Uh, you pay them. They they kind of want to give you what you're looking for that's because exactly right. it's you know, and and that's unfortunate. So yeah. so I don't I don't put any any credence into those kind of studies, and and I'm always looking at any study and going, who is it that is actually paid for this study? Right. Thank you. I, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I just call it corporate science. Yep, that's exactly it. Now I would say a very large percentage of science that exists now is is that way, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because there's certainly some incredible scientists out there, but it's sad to see how much corporate America has, has kind of, or a corporate, you know, world has uh, kind of taken rein on the legit science that should be taking place. But as a scientist, they're like, listen, either I, I get the funding and I keep my lab open and I, and I pay my bills or I don't. And that's, that's what their reality is. Right. And they don't know um, any other way. And, and sometimes they just do it, unfortunately. I, I totally agree with you, Ben. And look, I, I don't want to say anything bad about any particular product. I, I normally try to educate people about the fact that there are products in the marketplace that are mycelium that is being grown on sterilized grains. And, and oftentimes that's hidden. You don't know that that's what you're getting. One of the ways to, to find out is just open it up. If it's a capsule, taste it. These products usually taste very bland. They're often light colored because it's mostly flour. And so uh, you have to be very careful about it. If it says made in the USA, it's that's probably what it is. And, and, and you know, we grow all our mushrooms in China. And the reason we do is because it's uneconomical to grow mushrooms for supplements in the United States. And people, uh, our, our competitors, they bash us for that. And they claim all sorts of things about, ah, oh, it's China and it's this and it's that. We grow them way back in the mountains. They're organically certified by high quality European certifiers. We test everything over two times, pesticides twice, heavy metals twice, everything. We can't sell them if they don't meet the standards. So, so that, that's what's happening. And that's why these products are even out there. They're cheap, cheap, cheap to produce. And, and that's what's so unfortunate is people are paying a lot of money for grain powder. Yeah. So my favorite mushroom of all that I take uh, almost to excess maybe every day, somewhere in the realm of five to 10 grams of lion's mane every day. I love it. I've, I mean, I've noticed such a difference, um, you know, cognitively. I know it just it a difference to my sleep. Is it is it just, again, the beta-glucans or is there something deeper? Oh, there's there's compounds in there that are that are that um, have been demonstrated to stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. And nerve growth factor helps to organize and manage the neurons that we've got uh, that are, um, you know, I mean, I mean, as you get older, especially, 
the the that production of neurons and and the way the neurons are working it just kind of degrades a little bit so so being able to stimulate this nerve growth factor and keep that at a higher level is very important so there they've they've demonstrated that there are specific compounds that do that with lion's mane so so that that's what's going on it, it's something where science has really told us that this is this is what this mushroom can do and there are compounds that they've elucidated that that actually demonstrate that so that's that's a lot of it and you know lion's mane ben is our number one seller <laughs> and you know the funny thing is in 2015 i must have sold like uh 50 kilos in a year of lion's mane today we sell like 20 tons of lion's mane i'm sure i'm, I'm, sure I'm a big part of that actually the world yeah it. yeah send a ton off to uh ben his yearly yes. supply is not there it's, it's sprinkled <laughs> on all my food I buy you know what and, and and lion's mane is a delicious edible mushroom if you yep. can ever find it in your marketplace grab it i mean when I mean, you know, when we're traveling around and we do yearly audits in China, we go to the farms, we go to the factories that we're working with, and and we'll just be at the farms and we'll just be picking these mushrooms and throwing them into a bag, and then when it comes to lunchtime, we just give it to the cook in the restaurant we're we're in. This is how it works in China. Just give it to the cook and say, "Hey, cook it up for us, please," and then it's served to us. You know, it's a little like farm to table immediately. That's wonderful, absolutely incredible. So, no, you said one thing in there that. Um, I want to dive into a little bit. I heard Paul Stamets talking about potentially the um, benefits of mycelium in its ability to maybe help with the soil regeneration. And you know, he mentioned something along the lines of like um, breaking down plastics. And I, I'm just wondering if you have any uh, perspective on that. Well, you know what? Um, fungal mycelium is in all of our soils it's in it without it we would be like uh, buried in organic matter and so so it's very important and and there are fungal mycelia that can break down hydrocarbons and things like that but you know i, I really like to look at it more as a ecosystem i i think that is kind of like you're it's back into kind of isolating one thing when you look out there in the ground the number of things that are there actively breaking down all that organic matter we've got multiple different types of fungi we we have got bacteria we have got uh yeasts we've got bugs we've got everything working to repurpose all of that organic matter out there and and you know it's it's a it's a whole sort of microcosm of organisms and it, it works together and i look at it as a community of these organisms that are doing all of that work and it's interesting to maybe isolate one thing and they're working on a lot of scientists are working on a lot of whether it be fungi or bacteria i mean i think there's there's bacteria that do a pretty good job of breaking down hydrocarbons too so so those are definitely paths of uh, interest out there for that but in generally speaking it's like man what's going on and i live in an old growth forest i i see this what you'd call decay but you know i don't look at it as decay i look at it as regeneration because all they're doing is taking all of that organic matter breaking it down into humus to be reused and, and that's the cycle of life right i mean ultimately it's kind of like 
dust to dust. And, and ultimately, we're going to be feeding those uh, plants and animals as well. I just want to clarify one thing before we let you go is you mentioned these companies in the U.S. that are growing, quote unquote, mushrooms out of um, you know wheat and oats. Now, would that be something they could actually package as like if I was buying Lion's Mane from a different company, would it, could they actually put Lion's Mane on the label and sell these mycelium products as Lion's Mane itself? Or is that illegal? Well, <clears throat> FDA has a policy that has been out there since 1976 that says you cannot sell mycelium and call it mushroom. That's an FDA policy, but unfortunately they do it anyway. And, and, you know, look, FDA, I, I mean, the thing about it is, it's like, it's not helping anybody, but it's not hurting anybody either. So FDA right. has got bigger fish to fry. So they haven't really stepped in and said, Hey, you can't call your products mushrooms. And in the, in the uh, organization that I'm a part of, the American Herbal Products Association, uh, we came together a few years ago and I initiated a conversation to basically come up with a policy that says, look, you have to say on your labels that what you've got is mycelium and you have to list the grains on there. So we actually have a policy in our organization, but that that is not mandatory. Nobody has to follow that. So it's very deceiving out there when you look at look at a product and it's got a mushroom, a picture of a mushroom, and they call it reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, whatever. And and maybe they don't tell you back in the fine print that they've also got grains in there. Think about it. You know, at Paleo FX, Ben, I had people coming up to me saying, oh, man, mushrooms. I love mushrooms. I, I take a great mushroom product. And I say, oh, oh, fantastic. What brand? They tell me the brand and I'm like, oh man, I hate to tell you this, but you're eating a lot of grains with that product. And they're like, I had no idea. Right. So could you come out with a, uh, you know, like a certificate of approval or something like that? You know, like you have a, there's got to be a way to go like, hey, this one is approved to be this, right? So there's got to be some governing body that says we have this person's stamp or th this badge of approval. You know, like they're putting this on every label. You've got these kind of designer ingredients that exist now, which is just like, hey, we verified this to be real. Um, please acknowledge that this is the right product you're trying to get. Because like it would be really nice as a consumer. I mean, I you know, if I if I have an issue, I just call you or Sky. But if most people out there don't have the ability to just go call up the mushroom man and say, "Hey, man, which one should I buy?" Right? Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's really interesting. And and even in the paleo world, there's an organization that sort of like gives you a little paleo. Yeah. This is paleo. Yeah. But Ben, I actually we looked at a couple of companies that had that little seal of approval, and it was not mushroom. It was this mycelated grain. We contacted that organization. We said, look, we want to let you know that this product that you have certified actually has grains in it. They did not respond. Well, well, at least you could do it ethically, like, right? This is what we need to be good people doing good things ethically. So we can actually help. Like, I don't want to consume crap. I want to get like, I don't mind paying extra money if I know I'm going to get the best things out there. And even if it's, I mean, most of the times it's not even more expensive. It's just a matter of knowing, right? And so for me to be an informed consumer, I just rather not buy anything until I know exactly what I'm getting I, is correct. I totally agree. And you know what, what we do and what we tell our customers to do and what a lot of people are doing now is they just say, uh, no mycelium, no grain, no starch on all of their informational materials. 
<clears throat> so that's something that we we advocate to, for companies to do, and, and and a lot of companies are picking up on that right. and are starting to to uh, um, advertise yeah, I really in that way. It's an opportunity for you to just make it like the approving body of mushrooms, right? So someone came out recently with the protein board. What the hell is a protein board? They literally started it, but now they have to put their stamp of approval on it. And I think it's useful, right? Like especially if you're doing it morally and not just taking you know handouts under the table. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, it's just it's just a matter of you know okay, here. yeah. Well, we can't really do it because I mean we're we're in that business. It has to be a separate okay. body. Maybe then it could be just your your company's name on it. Like hey, you know, a product of blah. So we we we, like, we encourage that. Yeah, we encourage that. A absolutely right. But and, but you know what? I, I get a little bit. Uh, you know, it's like. If you look at products these days, Ben, it's like, how many little merit badges are there? I mean, my God, the list of these things just gets to be where you can't even, there's not enough room on a label to put them all. Right. You know, and, yeah. and the thing about these products is these, these myceliated grain products will say certified organic. Um, we're, we're um, also kosher where we Not don't have any, yeah, yeah, the whole bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like, so, so it, it's not, it's not easy to, to actually do that. The marketplace ultimately has to decide. And I'm just out there trying to educate people to, to what's going on in this marketplace. Jeff, uh, I'm so grateful for you and what you do and for having so much passion, uh, to bring this to the world for 40 years now, which is, you know, actually almost you know, coming up on 50, I guess, right? Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, as an incredible honor to our listeners, you're hooking us up with 20% off on the website. Uh, your business is called realmushrooms.com and you can go to realmushrooms.com slash Ben and get 20% off their orders for life, not just for the first order, which is amazing. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you'd like to let our listeners know before we? Oh, well, also just, you know, Real Mushrooms is the uh, sort of the retail side of the business. The other side is Namex, Namex.com. And I have a lot of information on the website there that people can come to the website. They can get a lot. I've got slideshows on there, too, that people can look at. If they want to get a little bit deeper into it all, learn a little bit more, the information is there, Namex.com. And, hey, I really appreciate uh, the conversation, Ben. It's great seeing you again, and and who knows, maybe at some point we'll be able to cross borders again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna be picking mushrooms in your forest before you know it. So oh man, you rest. should. Yeah, I mean, I mean, our forest where the head office is is an amazing place to harvest mushrooms. The forest is beautiful. We've got streams running down the mountainside, crystal clear water. It's a fabulous place. So definitely come and visit. You've created an amazing life for yourself and your family. So Jeff, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here and for all the wisdom. You're, you're welcome, Ben. Thank you. I hope you enjoy the podcast with Jeff Chilton. As you see, this man is an absolute whiz when it comes to mushrooms, dispelling all these common myths and beliefs. And there's so much nonsense being thrown around about the potential implications of all these magical things that exist out there. But mushrooms are one that are proven to be effective time and time again. I religiously use lion's mane and reishi every day. 
Uh, Reishi is my best lever by far to sleep. If you're someone who's struggling with sleep or with, or with low heart rate variability, Reishi is one of those levers I go through all the time. Three to five grams of Reishi after dinner, after training or before bed, or sometimes all of them in a, in a phase of high training stress, uh, really, really improves your sleep, knocks up your deep sleep, really, really improves your heart rate variability. Don't miss it. I want to read something from you for you here for all you mushroom lovers. Um, five ways that you can tell your mushroom products are fake versus legit because this is really, really important. So um, obviously we want to buy something that we know is legitimate mushrooms. So the folks over at Real Mushrooms have given us this list. So first, if your product says U.S. grown, it's likely mycelinated grain. Uh, so apparently all grain or all mushrooms grown in the U.S. are mycelinated grain and we don't want that. That's basically grain as, the, as Jeff Shelton said in the podcast, it's basically grain that's being um, added to the product to add to the weight so they can sell by weight, obviously. Second, check out the color. If every one of the products is the same shade of beige, it's probably green. Um, all mushrooms should vary in color. Third, do a taste test. Mushrooms are very earthy and sometimes bitter. If it tastes sweet at all, it's green. Fourth, look at the ingredients list. If it contains fancy sounding words like mycelinated brown rice or oats, mycelial biomass, full spectrum primordia, or exocellular compounds, then those are all mycelinated grain. And finally, uh, you could tell if it's a legit mushroom that comes from a company, Real Mushrooms, the sponsor of today's show, and the brainchild of Jeff and Sky Chilton. Thank you very much for being here, Jeff. Head over to realmushrooms.com slash Ben. Pick it up. Thank me later. And if you do, take a picture and show me how you're using it. If you guys are making the Intelligence Coffee, let me know. So Intelligence Coffee, guys, if you want to know, I talk about this all the time. I literally have it right here. Um, so I put about 10 grams of Bub's MCT. Now, I suggest Bub's because it really makes a difference to the experience. Bub's makes it really creamy. And really easy to dissolve in the in the beverage. So sometimes MCT gets really clumpy and gross. So I don't use anything other than bubs. Um, I use 10 grams of MCT. And collagen is hit and miss. Sometimes I use the collagen in there and sometimes I don't. Collagen can change the texture a little bit. So depending if you like that or not, if you need extra collagen diet, it's a great way to add it. Um, I also add now about five grams of lion's mane because I'm getting it at such a discounted price from real mushrooms at about five grams, which is a lot, but actually significantly improves the mouthfeel and the, the physiological benefits of the coffee. And I really like five grams of lion's mane. And then I also use about 600 to 1,000 milligrams of alpha GPC, which is my favorite brain product, you guys know, and that's not a company or anything like that, that's just an ingredient, which you can find in many different uh, companies. And use, as I said, about 600 to 1,000 milligrams of that. Um, and again, the benefit of that is tremendous. And then I water it down so I have a nice big cup and it's absolutely delicious. Drop a couple of uh, squeezes of stevia in there and it's literally the greatest thing in the morning for your brain when I drink for every coffee and every podcast, sorry, for every workout and every podcast. Thank you guys for being here. As always, I appreciate you and thank you for subscribing to the podcast. Subscribers drive our show. It allows us to get sponsors, it allows us to get better guests and ultimately keep this amazing information coming to you. Uh, so we can learn, so we can thrive, so we can live our body, live our life in a body we absolutely love. Have a great day, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.